Welcome to the Daily Grind Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Colin Morgan. Listen, are you tired of not living a fulfilling life? Do you believe you deserve more? Do you want more? Is it finally your time? If yes, then stick around. I welcome you to the Daily Grind. Today's episode is brought to you by SaneBox. Email. Oh, email. Email overload was honestly affecting my life. I had so many emails coming in. It was hard to keep track of. It was hard to sort. And because of that, important emails were missed and plenty of time was wasted. I actually recently spent a week sorting my emails out. And what a waste of time and a headache. I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have something that would sort your emails for you and ensure you only saw the important emails coming in? How much time would that save? Well, now there is SaneBox. SaneBox has made my life so much easier since I discovered this amazing tool, and I guarantee it will help you too. One of my favorite features, aside from it automatically sorting important and unimportant emails for you, is the sane reminders, which will actually ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email. Today, you can see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox and your life with a free two-week trial. All you have to do is visit SaneBox.com grind today to start your two-week free trial and not only that you get a $25 credit that is s-a-n-e-b-o-x dot com slash grind again you get a two-week free trial and a $25 credit when you visit samebox.com slash grind Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode of The Daily Grind, we are joined by Nancy Duarte. Nancy Duarte is a communication expert who has been featured in Fortune, Time Magazine, Forbes, Fast Company, Wired, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Cosmopolitan, LA Times, and CNN. Her firm, Duarte Inc., is the global leader behind some of the most influential visual messages in business and culture. As a persuasion expert, she cracked the code for effectively incorporating story patterns 
into business communications. She's written five best-selling books, four of which have won awards, and today on the show, she shares her amazing entrepreneurial journey with us. So as always, everyone, be sure you have a pen, piece of paper, sit back, and dive deep in today's interview with Nancy Duarte. Enjoy. Nancy Duarte, welcome to The Daily Grind. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course, Nancy. And uh, Nancy, if you wouldn't mind for some people listening, being first introduced to you today, if you wouldn't mind just kind of speaking a little bit more as to who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah. So um, my firm, we've been storytellers here in the Silicon Valley for 31 years, probably older than most of the people, wow. older, older than you too. So um, yep. yeah, so we've been um, servicing the highest performing brands in the world, uh, helping them tell their stories, visualizing and help them deliver their presentations. And now we train people to do it for themselves too. And we've been doing that for about 10 years. Uh, so what's your background? Like, how did you get into to storytelling? Um Maybe what you do before. Yeah. So I, I worked in a small town in Northern California, um, the only little high tech firm. So moving to the Silicon Valley was kind of easy to go from small town girl. I don't know why I felt totally comfortable walking up to powerful execs and telling them what they should say instead of what they were. So <laughs> my secret is that I, I actually did uh, go to college, took speech communications and got a C minus in it. So and wow. a D in English. So it's it's so fun to be, you know, an expert in speech communications. Um, yeah, so I got real discouraged, dropped out. And then I, you know, my career has just been a lot of moxie, hard work. I, you know, just read, um, became a real strategic thinker, and then, uh, you know, became a strategic advisor to all my customers. So I went on about a three and a half year uh, journey through story where I started my day at 4 a.m., studied story until noon uh, for three and a half years, and then, you know, did my CEO job in the afternoons. And um, it just got a hold of me. It's just part of me and always will be. So now I have 100 and, 125 employees, about, 100 and, about another 40 contractors that just really are trying to change the world and really transform how people communicate. Wow. So what were some of the things you were turning to during those like three years you were waking up at 4 a.m.? Like what were some of the stories you were studying? Love that. I pretty much read the internet. <laughs> um, I studied um, every kind of, I was looking for patterns. So I think deep inside, I'm a pattern finder. Um, yeah. And so I was looking for patterns. So I had a book that's just called The 100 Greatest Speeches of All Times. And I knew that speeches had a cadence and a rhythm to them. Like you, they kind of pulsed and, and they kept mm -hmm. you on your seat the way a good story did. So I had that book and then I just went uh, through all kinds of story. I uh, studied Joseph Campbell's hero's journey um, and that has uh, global and epic tale structures everything ever written about screenwriting screenplay the three-act story structure freytag's dramatic structure like every single thing i could find around story what it means how the brain how it impacts the brain and the heart just just everything i could and then once on on this deep deep dive I came back to my 100 greatest speeches of all times and figured out what it is about a speech that adopted some attributes of story that made it really powerful, that made it make this list of 100 top speeches. And so it was fun. And that was uh, 2010 is when Resonate came out. And then I took my findings in story and applied it to data. Um, and that's what the data story book is, which is the newest book. Wow. So during those moments, like what were what were some of the, the nuggets that you took out of those findings? 
I think it's the um, that number one without you know not every story follows these structures like a formula but they mostly do like I can now watch a movie and almost I, I know what what place they're at in the story structure, what's going to happen next, what the, who the archetypes are, you can identify, oh, that's the, that one's the shadow, and this one's the, you know, mentor, and this one's the hero, you can just, this one's the sidekick, that one's the jester, like, there's just certain types of archetypes that are classically used, um, and so it, it's interesting, because it's true, and then there's the rise and fall of cathartic release, and that's the biggest thing that pulls from story in a speech is how do you build tension and release it and then you build this tension and you release it and that's the rise and then release this rise of tension and then you have a release um, an emotional or psychological or physiological release um, and that was um, that's a real big finding of of how you um, you can use that particular feature of a story in a speech Interesting. Where does this entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, were you, was your parents entrepreneurs? Like what what got you into this? No, I think I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I was always like kind of fearless as a kid. I, I remember as a little kid, I, um, I was in a, I wasn't in Girl Scouts. I was in something a little less, um, well-known called Campfire Girls. And it was like, we had to stand out in front of the bank and sell, you know, mints and stuff like that. And my little group, was like featured in the paper as the highest performing sales team or something. And I was just like that. <laughs> I remember being terrified to sell, but I remember the feeling afterwards of being like, we just did something really epic because nobody had ever sold like that, you know, per person ratio or whatever. And so I don't know. I just, I always was industrious. I would rake leaves as a little kid to save up enough money to go to the corner hardware store. And in the hardware store, they had a office supply section and I would do things like buy a, buy three by five cards and buy a little box to put the three by five cards in. So instead of playing with dolls, I found an old abandoned desk and I put it in my room and I would file things. Like I would find papers and I would name papers and file them and had little had a little tack board with really clever things on it. So I've always been an arranger and a pattern finder, I think. And so that's what play was for me, was sitting at my desk and arranging things. And so, I don't know, I think entrepreneurship looks a lot like play for me. So you mentioned like early on, you just had this fearlessness of reaching out to top executives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like walk us through the early days. Like how, how many people yeah. were you reaching out to? Were you walking into buildings? Oh, it's such a like... <laughs> great story. Oh my God. No, it's so great. Cause, um, this is 1988. You know, my husband worked all summer to buy a little Mac plus and in 88, like nobody had him, especially not graphic designers. It was just a toy. And he worked all summer, bought a little Mac and I was just bugging him. This is stupid. This is just such a joke. Cause I worked on a real computer called a mainframe. And then in 1980, I was very pregnant and he's like, look, I think this is going to be a big deal. I said, look, if I can, cause I was working in tech. I said, if I can sell it, you can keep it. If I can't sell what you're trying to make, you're going to go get yourself a real job with insurance for our baby, you know? And yeah. so I picked up the phone and, and the play back then, like, I'm sure your listeners are way too young to know this back then. So to bake a chart, to make a graph or to plot a data point, you had to use electrical tape and an exacto knife. You would make wow. your axes. I mean, it was just a big laborious process. So what I did is I figured out that digital could replace these very analog handmade way that we did things. And I made three calls in one afternoon to NASA, to Tandem, which is now HP and Apple. 
and we won all three accounts. And I never went back to my real job after my son was born. So it was just, so it was winning the work we got in as technical illustrators. And then what was so great is Apple, they were the first company to hook up a computer to a projector. That was not a thing. This was brand new. And we were right there making slides for them at the time. So in 92, they had a big layoff and everyone at my clients at Apple kind of scattered across the Silicon Valley in a beautiful way. <laughs> it's terrible for Apple, but great for my business. And then it just, I started to get accustomed to be in these really um, powerful meetings. I also read, I subscribed to HBR, Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine. I just devoured, had a yeah. lot of moxie, spent a lot of time understanding current strategies, current trends. And so when I showed up, a lot of times I was more well-read and more on top of things than they had time to have just because I wanted it so bad, you know. So then, yeah, it was just crazy. That's crazy town right there. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was super exciting, but was there also like a fear element? Like when you got those three accounts to be like, oh, holy shit, like yeah, we, we got all three. What? Yeah, I don't know why, but you have a feast and famine mindset, right? You're like, oh, well, well <laughs> yeah. that's great that we got this, but we don't know if the phone's going to ring again and we don't know if it's going to ring again. And my husband and I, we would we would get up at six, get the kids ready and out the door. And then he and I would work until two, three in the morning. We would watch all the late night shows together. And and we just always were worried that the phone wouldn't ring. And it literally, we were probably in business 20 years when we realized, okay, we need, we need to get, we need more help. You know, we always <laughs> felt behind. So we, after about five years, we finally, hired um, our first person that was like one, two, three, four, five. We added five employees pretty quickly after uh, I joined it th uh, three years in. So what happened is after, after I sold so much, he got carpal tunnel syndrome and it was pretty bad. And so my husband couldn't actually do the work anymore, which was a blessing for him because man, he worked hard. And so, yeah, so he had to pull back and do finance and IT. Um, and then we, then we've just grown ever since and grown and grown and grown and grown. And um yeah, so now we have what I say, 125 plus a bunch of contractors and coaches and stuff. So, yeah, it's crazy. That's what, what was the transition like? Because obviously the beginning stages, you're kind of doing everything, right? Like, and then all of a sudden you start to yeah. add people and you take yeah. on that leadership role. How was that transition yeah. for you? It's interesting because I think as an entrepreneur, what happens is we can go wide. Like I can spin 22 plates at once and do okay. I can make sure they don't fall. Not one yeah. of my plates is going to spin with excellence, right? Where it's just really going to stay whipped up and, and really sharp and tuned. And so what happened was it was about, it must've been 95, it was about, I guess I'd only been there about five, seven years or something. Uh, yeah, it was about seven years I'd been working. I was the set up the company where I was the hub and all my employees were some sort of spoke off of myself. So I would go to all the meetings. I, I would stay up at night. I would sketch out all the slides and all the concepts and everyone would come in the next morning with sketches on their chair and, and their assignments for the day. Well, my God, we were at like 27 people at that point in time. It was just too much. And then I got the book E-Myth, the E-Myth Manager, and mm -hmm. it's for entrepreneurs specifically. And it's like, you got to let go of being the journeyman and become an actual manager. And I remember I hired somebody to do the concepting and I studied the job description. I took it home and I actually mourned the loss of that skill. I had to mourn it as if it was dead, knowing that whoever was going to do our concepting in the future wouldn't do it the way I did, might not even come up with as clever of things as I thought I did. And I literally mourned the loss as if that role was dead to me. Yeah. Or And I had to do that like each time I shaved a new thing off that I loved doing but knew we would never scale I actually had to kind of give it its own moment of silence and then um, 
you know, and then have, and then move on. And, um, that was hard. That was a hard season. That was harder. Um, I think being at about that 30 person mark where you're not quite making enough, you want to hire people smarter than yourself. And I actually did end up doing that, but you have to have a certain amount of revenue to be able to afford the salaries of the people smarter than you. And so we had to get to about 50 people before I could start hiring people smarter than myself, about 55 people. I remember being super happy to hire someone just really, really to could take over parts where I couldn't groom people up to take it over. I had to hire from the outside to bring it in. And, and that was a great day. Yeah. Now, yeah that's such a, it's a great perspective, right? Cause I think a lot of people give that sort of blanket advice, like hire someone smarter than you, but oftentimes like you don't have the money, right. When you're starting out oh, early. I know and that was hard. And I mean, now the cool thing is, is uh, there's a handful of people that have stayed with me for years and they're all, they've kept up and they're in executive positions too. But like I had to get a CFO, I had to do certain things that yeah. you just have to bring in somebody who's got a lot of experience. Like you can't, I can't groom a CFO in my culture, you know, so I had to bring one in. So were there other like CEOs and, and founders that you were friends with that you kind of turned to during those moments? Yeah, you know, I was always too busy. Like I would say I was raising my kids. I would get up. um, I had one REM cycle of sleep usually from 2 a.m. to to 6 a.m. in the morning because I had to do my quiet thinking at night, my growing. And I just, I felt like I didn't have time for friends. I didn't have time for social things. I didn't have time to compare notes with other leaders. And in the Valley, I'm a bit of an anomaly. Most everyone's using someone else's money, VC money, and we're bootstrapped on 100%. We were using our own money and investing in it with no debt and all that stuff. So that was really important to me. And then I went on this amazing trip to India. I got invited to go on a trip with 10 other powerful women. Like I was the token entrepreneur. They were all like board of directors at Adobe, general counsel at (laughs) Apple, like top, top VCs in the area. I was just like humbling, you know, CEO. And and so I'm in the back of this bus going all over India, meeting uh, the Ma, having high tea with the Maharaja and like meeting on, I mean, it was just like nobody meeting movie stars, movie producers, the gal who runs the stock exchange. It was just a crazy trip. And I found the power of community with other type A women specifically. It was hard to find other women because we're all so busy. We're building our family and our businesses at the same time. So around 2006, a lot of women in the Valley had hit this moment in their career where they were willing to give back. And so just now, only in the last, but since 2006, 15, 16 years or so, women are starting to coalesce. So I'm in a couple of CEO groups um, and women's group. I just went to Napa with a group of five gals this weekend, and it is stunning. I mean, we're just like a hen house. It's like, but, 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 you said you'd do this. You did. Why are you doing that that way? Like, we just do it so rapid, and and then we share, and we share how we're donating and giving and how we're giving back and how we're grooming our employees. Like it's just this rapid fire. And I don't know how I lived without them for that long. Um, but this community is my lifeblood. This is the community that'll be with me until one of the gals even bought a place in Palo Alto. So we could all treat it like an old folks home and, (laughs) and, you know, just take care of each other as we get old. So I, I don't know what I would do without this community. They talked on that bus in India, they told me, absolutely, I was, should I write a book? Should I not write a book? So that was before I wrote my first book. And on that bus, they said, you go back and you write your book. And I did. 
And so it's just great. So now I do have this community. I have a bunch of people I could ping. Like I was like, hey, do any of you guys know someone powerful at X at a specific global company? Because I have yeah. a problem. And they're like, yeah, I know the chairman of the board. Just type up your concerns. I'll flip it right to them. <laughs> like, it's just so neat. Wow. To, yeah. And this is like one of the largest brands in the world. Because, <laughs> you know, because I can't get through the help desk line. She's going to go ahead and tell the chairman of the board. Yeah. So it's just really cool, really powerful to have um, have a bunch of people have your back. So being around those those types of people and leaders and obviously you being one yourself, what do you feel like are some of the common commonalities in terms of sort of traits and behaviors that separate, you know, sort of the real high achievers from everyone else? That's a I love this question. Nobody's ever asked me that. So um I would say the patterns I find is passion. Like mm -hmm. they love what they do. Like one of the questions I asked every lady on this weekend trip, we're already friends. I asked every single one of them, what do you love that you're doing right now? And they didn't just have one thing they're doing. They had something, it, they had several things they were doing that that were pervasive through work, through personal, through charity, through nonprofits, through boards they're serving on, mm -hmm. what they're doing with their kids. Like it's just passion and things they love doing. I think we spend a lot of time working. Um, I do think, and we spend a lot of time giving back. Um, I think everyone there was well-read. And that's what I loved about this group. They were all from different industries. I learned, I took more notes about stuff. I had to Google more terms. I had to look stuff up because as they <laughs> talk about the news they're reading, their channels are a bit different that you know we're all trying to be well well really well read so i think they know a lot about a lot i think they're risk takers um they know how money's made um and and they nobody that's in my circles is making money for them to pilot up for themselves most all of them that are making really amazing money are built they're building foundations it's really to give back so they found their passion they make money and the thing that drives them is more about giving back than it is about hoarding it for themselves, which I love. That's what I love about this group. So um, I think that's a nice little round list. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so uh, you mentioned, you know, you were, you were with them and they sort of encouraged you to write your first book. What was the first book called? It's called Slideology. So it was taking, we were already making slides and building stuff. That was the easiest one for me to start with. So we'd been building, I don't know if you remember how ugly you know, even back in 2008, just the default settings in all of our presentation software was ugly. So if you went to start a new file, the default was ugly, ugly. And you had to use an anvil practically and a hammer to shape your PowerPoint <laughs> to even be remotely attractive. Now that tools themselves solved some of it. Um, and yeah, so it was really about visual thinking and conceptual thinking and what is it that you should do before you even open your presentation software to think through things. Um, and so it was about telling visual stories. Wow, that's great. And then fast forward to uh, 2019. Uh, your latest book, Data Story. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us like you know, yeah. for people who are sort of you know new to it, like what's the book about? What do you want people to take yeah. away from it? Yeah, so this now is my sixth book. Um, and I'm excited about this one. This one's really hitting a nerve because what's happening is we have all this data and we have 67% uh, of jobs are data enabled. That means 67% of people sitting at their desk right now have to know how to use data and how to communicate with it. So when you dig into data, one of two things happens. You identify a problem or you identify an opportunity. Once that part's done, you have a communication problem. Uh-oh, how do I communicate this problem? How do I communicate this opportunity? And this book is about 
communicating data in such a clear way, people can make decisions quickly based on what you found in the data. So it incorporates story, incorporates story frameworks in it, that there's a certain way within a little tiny three act structure in less than 30 seconds, you can frame what the situation is, what the problem is you found in the data and what you need to do to solve the problem. And so it's, it's, I love this. I love this book. And like, it's, 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 um, it's really changing how people are choosing to communicate about data. Yeah. Data is one of those funny things because people, when you think about it, it's like, oh, you don't really communicate data, but it's so important. I know a lot of people will say like, yeah, what data speaks for itself. It doesn't need story or storytelling. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not adding fiction or spin or, or telling people to communicate falsehoods. I'm just saying, here's a tried and true structure that triggers your brain in a way no other communication medium has, which is story. I'm just saying, take the facts of the data and shape it in the shape of a story. Cause data, I'm sorry, you could, if let's say the data is just sitting there, it took a human to find the problem or opportunity. And it's going to take a human to encourage people to take action action towards solving that problem or exploiting the opportunity. So there's a whole lot of communication that happens around data. Um, otherwise, why use it? It can just sit in a database. Why even visualize it if you're not going to communicate yeah. about it, right? Yeah. So true. Yeah. So true. Um, Nancy, one question I love to ask entrepreneurs like yourself is, you know, I'm wondering, you know, whether you're speaking to a an 18 to 20 year old version of yourself, or you're speaking to an 18 year, 20 year old right now, like what piece of advice would you give someone in that life uh, area, whether they're 20 or whether they're 30, but maybe they're trying to figure things out. Like what piece of advice could you give someone? Boy, it's so funny how when you hear an age range, you reflect back to what you were doing <laughs> at 18 to 20. <laughs> it just seems so young. Because <laughs> um, I, I, it's so funny. I got married at 18. So when my daughter came and said, I'm going to get married and she was 19, I couldn't tell her she was too young, right? <laughs> and I was like, she married her true love. Beautiful marriage. So I feel like what what the advice is that we tell our children from the day they were born is follow, wake up every day and ask yourself, what brings me peace today? And what brings me passion today? And those are kind of conflicting energies, right? But it's like, I'm really fired up about that. Pursue that. I'm really, or like, I really feel like if I let this go or I do this thing, it'll bring me peace. Then follow those things. And it has led us um, to where we are. That's been like a bit of a guiding principle. So if there was one guiding principle, that's it. Like my son, who's lived in the Bay Area, he just told us, he goes, I, th I think I need to move to LA because that's closer to my customer base and we're like do you have peace and you passion he's like yep yep we're like go and we send him out with our blessing you know so it's just we just feel like that leads you to open doors to meet people it leads you to friendships it leads you to love it leads you and guides you and and if you think about it friendships loves and relationships are their most valuable currency that humans have today the most valuable you can have all the money in the world but if you don't have love and friendships you know, you, you, you're void, you, you lack meaning. And so, um, that's been a bit of a guiding principle that's worked for us and, and seemingly has worked for our kids. So. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Right. Cause when you follow your truth and you, and you follow mm -hmm. that, it, it brings you confidence yourself to know yeah. that you're doing the right thing. Where oftentimes if you do something because, you know, someone else told you, but you don't really mm -hmm. believe in it, you start mm -hmm. to second guess yourself and things mm -hmm. sort of start to become, not uh, the, the way it seems. 
Yeah, or even intuition. Like I think my husband and I, we have a lot of intuition and sometimes we make really counterintuitive moves just because it felt right, you know, or left opportunities on the table because they felt right. And when we look back, we're like, man, that was the right decision. So it's just, yeah, you just got to be open to that. Love that. Well, uh, if people wanted to grab a copy of Data Story, where's the best place they can do that? Well, it's available in bookstores. It's available online um, in all the places. There's training, too, on our website, which is Duarte.com. It's a huge training course. It's super transformative there, too. So, yeah. Beautiful. And then uh, if they wanted to follow along with you and learn more about you and your journey, where's the best place everyone could do that? Yeah, so that, there's some on Duarte.com. I uh, tweet at Nancy Duarte. I connect to anyone who connects me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so there's multiple ways to get a hold of me. Beautiful. And uh, the way we end the show here, Nancy, is we're going to give you the floor, and you have the opportunity today to share with the audience a thought of the day. So one thing or one thought we can all go home with today. There's a lot of data <laughs> that says that the biggest skill gap in work today is communication. And so it's a real honor, obviously, to be in that field. But I'm saying that to say that the research also states, LinkedIn uh, did all the research. They also say communication is one of the few things that will not be replaced by artificial intelligence. So I really want to encourage everyone to become strong communicators. You'll rise more quickly in your organization, but you'll also have a unique skill that's going to take a long, long time to be replaced by AI. So that would be my tip of the day. I love that. Uh, great way to end the show. And everyone, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Drop a like and comment. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, share this out with a friend who you feel like could benefit from today's episode. And Nancy, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and coming on the show here with us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you so much. And there you have it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, hit that subscribe button. Share this out with your friends. We will be back tomorrow with another epic interview. Until then, everyone, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. 